Sometimes you need extra humans. And I love a good system, but sometimes you just need other people behind you. And I mean, if we compare like the solopreneur mindset to like a company mindset, like that's a big difference there of, you know, it's not just you. And there are other people that you can lean on and you can trust. And in our case, you don't even have to hire all those people. You hire one agency and then we've got this like support team to help you get it done. You're listening to The Brands That Book Show, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs who want practical tips and strategies to build engaging brands and craft high-converting websites. We're your hosts, Davey and Krista, co-founders of a brand and website design agency specializing in visual brand design and show-it websites. You're listening to The Brands That Book Show. Today's episode features Cash Moyer, founder of KS Agency, an agency that provides integrator services for businesses that want to create, launch, and sell digital products. You might be wondering, what is an integrator? Well, it's basically somebody that helps you get all of the things done. Not quite a virtual assistant. It's more of an operations person, somebody who strategizes alongside you and helps you implement that strategy. And if you wanna learn more about what an integrator is, you should go and check out episode 123 of the Brands of Book podcast, where Kat joined us to talk about exactly that, the role of an integrator. In this episode, we're talking more about if you were going to launch a digital product, what it would look like, or what Kat would recommend doing in order to get that product launched, and how an integrator might help you. As always, links and resources can be found in the show notes. Check them out at DaveyandKrista.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review over at Apple Podcasts. We've known Kat and her family for quite some time now. They actually recently built a house next door to ours, so we get to see them on a regular basis. And for anything organization, Kat is our go-to person. So excited to have her on this episode. Now, on to the episode. What's biggest adjustment to moving? That's a really good question. I think this is our first time with kids in multiple different locations. So that doesn't have anything to do with the move, but I think that's just on top of like, we live in a new area and now like one person goes here and another person goes here and then another one's at home. And like, just that rhythm has been like a weird thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like it's pretty similar to the last place you lived though? I mean, we like it better, which which is a good thing because like we're here to stay. In our last place there, like in order to get to more of the town, it was a longer drive. And so it's actually really nice that here, even though it feels more rural, downtown is 10 minutes away, you know? So if we wanted to like grab takeout or just like get out of the house, like things feel a little bit closer yet still more rural, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because I mean, we've had like kind of the opposite experience where moving from Annapolis, big city, everything, I mean, 10 grocery stores are like a stone's throw away, you know? And then to move here, it feels like, wow, you know, the grocery store is basically six to eight miles somewhere in there. It might as well be like, like if I want to go to the grocery store, I'm like, oh, but it's like kind of far away. You know, and people are like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Yeah. I mean, it and takes like, like 10 minutes oh, to get it's there. right down the street. Like, we'll just go get it. There's like the mentality is so different. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, you know, how do you like your neighbors? I mean, they can be better. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. We're grateful that you all are here. I mean, for Jack, having Micah here, I feel it's been like a just huge blessing. And it's fun watching them run around in the the front yard and just do things little boys do, you know. Well, and I'm excited to chat with you about everything that's been going on in your business. You recorded an episode with the, I don't know, it was post-2020, right? 
everything's pre and post. So, but it's been a few years now at the very least. And it was, you know, back towards the beginning of your life as an integrator. And now you're running like big integrator agency. So fill us in. It's changed a lot. Yeah, Yeah. I guess maybe just backing up for people who haven't listened to that episode, if you're interested in kind of the background on what an integrator is, you should go back and listen to that episode. But for people who haven't listened to that episode, what is an integrator and what are the sorts of things that you do? Great question. So I'm going to talk about an integrator from like our world of like solopreneurship, online small business owners. I feel like it's a little bit easier to think about it from that perspective because I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this podcast, like that's in their world and in their business. But an integrator essentially comes alongside of a visionary. So as a visionary, you're running the company. It was your idea. It was your vision to start being a small business owner. And you can't do it all on your own. So you need that integrator to come alongside you and help you move the needle forward and take on some of those maybe back-end business tasks that you don't love doing, or maybe even the things you don't even know how to do, but you know they need to get done in order order to grow and scale the business. I realized around that 2020, 2021 timeframe that I always thought I was a visionary and I am an integrator. So it was like this big aha moment of myself of like, oh, this is my problem. Like I always thought I was one type and I'm actually not. This is what I am over here. And so I started working with online small business owners. I started helping them look at, okay, here's all of the moving pieces of your business. And as a visionary, you're so good at coming up with ideas and new things that you want to do and new clients that you want to work with or new services or products that you want to offer. And yet you get burnt out really quickly because you're trying to wear all the hats and do all the things. And you need this helping hand to come alongside you and streamline and systemize where needed, but also just realistically project manage all of the moving pieces of the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe you could give us sort of the distinction between a VA integrator, because I think they're two very different things. And I think the first time we chatted, I had more in my mind that integrator was basically like a virtual assistant that maybe could do more things. But that's not really the case, right? Like integrator is more of like a chief operating officer, you know, like somebody who helps with the business actually operating. Absolutely. I would say that an integrator is more like a strategic partner for the visionary. You're going to put a little bit more trust and guidance in overall direction. Now, that doesn't mean you don't trust your VA. VAs are amazing. We all need VAs to help us do all the things. 100%. But I feel like with an integrator visionary relationship, it's almost like you're meeting on the same level and you're looking at where's the direction of the brand headed and you're both bringing strength to the table to then be able to better foresee, okay, where do we want to go? And then the integrator would then go to a VA and say, okay, here's what we're doing. This is the project for this month. And then let's project manage, let's write and project manage essentially just means let's make up the to-do list and figure out the deadlines of when we need to make this thing happen. And so VAs are very, very, very needed, but I do think that that integrator VA role is different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think for a lot of people who've started businesses, they're probably the visionary, probably more times than not, I would think. I mean, it's funny in your case, like you are more of the implementer integrator type, but I have to say, like, I think you have a lot of visionary qualities, right? And I think that's just from watching outside looking in you growing your business. You know, I think there's an aspect to running a business where you have to be a visionary. So like even you with your business probably have helped getting some of the implementation done. 
Yes. Yes. And I think also for me personally, that's what's made it a little bit more relatable to work with visionaries is because there are parts of my brain that like click on in that, you know, it's like, oh, we're just so excited. Like, let's just talk about all these things. And so I love that. And it's so fun to like, just like have ideation, you know, just like sit down and be like, oh, what could we do? Like, what what's going to happen? But there also needs to be some of my clients call me like that dream crusher role of like, <laughs> there needs to be that person that's like, but actually, like, could you do that? And like, what's realistic for your time and your finances and your clients and your audience? And like, what are you doing? And there needs to be that like Debbie Downer, so to yeah, speak, yeah, yeah. in a relationship so that you make sure that you're moving in a direction that you need to be moving in. Yeah, that's funny. So that because we always say that Chris is my dream crusher. So but I, I can see that. Yeah, I can totally see that. <laughs> literally just got, came out of marriage counseling. And one of the things we talked about was just how she's, you know, very tenacious and she's very much getting things done. Uh, and she was asked both about my biggest strengths, but then also about my biggest weaknesses. And so one of the things she said, she's like, yeah, TV has trouble just, you know, he's a lot of ideas. He has trouble getting those ideas implemented. So, but very grateful for people like you and Krista to help us get those ideas implemented. And, you know, it's just funny, like looking at your backdrop and obviously if people are listening to the podcast here, they might not be able to see this, but you know, you have like more calendars on your wall than I own. Do. I like do. It, just in what I can see than I own, like just in general. So one of the fun things is we've had a lot of overlapping clients in the past. And so I've got to see, you know, some of your work, but I would love for you to maybe walk us through, continue uh, painting this picture of what an integrator does through some of the ways that you serve your clients. What are some of the types of things that you do as an integrator for your clients? really niched as an integrator to specialize with clients that are focusing on optimizing and scaling digital products. So the majority of our clients have built a wildly successful service. You know, they're booking out weddings, they're booking out portrait sessions, et cetera. And now they're looking to have a little bit more passive income and to figure out either what does that look like in general? And we're kind of starting with let's create the Flowdesk account, you know, going from there, or they've launched several times. They've created some digital products and now we're helping them scale. So that looks like on a daily basis, my team, we understand like the tech backend of the digital product space. Again, visionary, you have an idea, you know the course you want to launch or the product you want to take to market. You don't have the time to sit down and DIY and figure out Kajabi and Zapier and ConvertKit and like all of these tech. So my team steps in, we know all of that tech. So I work with you or one of my project managers works with you to really assess what are we doing? What's the end goal? And what's our timeline for this goal? And then we manage and mobilize our team to bring that product to market or work through evergreen funnels, lead gen, things like that. So anything and everything in like that digital product space is where we're working in. Yeah. And I think that's such a heavy lift for people at the at the outset, especially if they've never launched a digital product before. But you've worked with a lot of people who they're, you know, they're not new to launching digital products. And I think they understand, you know, the heavy lift that the tech can be, you know, all the different integrations involved. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not that it takes some sort of like, you know, 150 IQ intelligence to figure those things out, but it is just a lot. There's a lot of moving pieces there. And so, you know, having somebody like your team step in and take care of those things, I mean, just hat off to you guys. You know, I mean, that would just be, so let's say someone comes to you, they're thinking about productizing their service or they're launching a new digital product you know, what steps would you recommend them take to get that idea off the ground? 
You're going to want to think about your audience first and foremost. I feel like a lot of the times I can say we because I've done it before and when I've been wearing like the visionary hat in my brand. But again, thinking about ideas and dreaming, that tends to be fun for a lot of people that own their own business because you had the dream in the first place to start the business. So we're typically really good at sitting down and and starting to brainstorm like, oh, I could teach people this or, oh, I could offer this. Oh, this fits in really well here. But we don't necessarily ask our audience or we don't necessarily start looking at what we're doing and thinking about, well, do I have the audience who's going to want this? And so I've worked with clients before or I've had friends in past scenarios that have put all of this work into getting a product ready, you know, filming the course and everything that goes into writing the content and getting that ready, but they haven't prepped their audience well or they haven't even asked their audience. So then it flops. And that was because they had a great product, but they didn't have this other missing piece of the funnel, which is the audience. And so my number one recommendation, if you're just getting started, is starting to think about growing your audience to want whatever it is that you are going to offer. And you can do that really simply by creating top of funnel content. So thinking about Instagram and like creating reels, creating feed, creating stories, creating things that like, okay, this has to do with what I want to teach or what I want to be known for. So let's start planting that seed. Obviously on the email list side of things, you can create a lead magnet to get people ready for, ooh, so-and-so is really good at client experience. Like I need to download this guide or I need to take this quiz to learn more from them. So obviously growing your email list is gonna be really important on that side of things. And you could also even go for like a low ticket offer, so like a tiny offer, something that's, I don't know, $15, $30, something really, really small that's an easier yes for your audience versus jumping right out the gate with a $500 signature course and overwhelming what might not be, you know, ready for market yet. Yeah, no, I think that's such great advice. And actually teaching and training, you know, after this on building an email list and how important an email list is to validating an idea. And it's just this engine that allows you to validate ideas in the future because you're able to get ideas out to a large group of people. And basically to your point, ask them, is this something you want? I think something else that you mentioned is creating top of funnel content and seeing what resonates. You know, I think like even before creating a lead magnet, one piece of advice that I typically give people is, you know, before you spend hours figuring out, you know, mapping out this quiz or creating some sort of like hundred page ebook, it's like, maybe just write a blog post about it and see how it's responded to, you know, because if, if people like the blog post, chances are they'll also like, you know, however you extend that content with a lead magnet, but how important is an email list to selling a digital course? How important it is to your clients as well? And like your experience? Incredibly important. It is one of the very first things that if, when I'm working with a client, it's one of the first things that we're going to start really auditing and figuring out what are you currently doing with your email list? So then how could we potentially like add a little bit of gas to that fire, you know, and what could we do additionally with the list? Or if there isn't a list, we're going to get started creating that list. We're going to get a lead magnet up and running. We're going to have a really solid nurture funnel after the you know lead magnet has been created. Because honestly, Davey, like that's a huge thing I see a lot of times when we're jumping in with um, clients that are newer to digital products is again, ideas. Ooh, this lead magnet. Ooh, this freebie. Like they might have some really awesome stuff, but then nothing's happening once those people get into their email list. They just like sit there and hang out for a while. So we want to also like audit the whole step of that email funnel to make sure that like we're continuing to show up and serve these people on a regular basis. Yeah. And so, you know, do you have like a certain benchmark for people to hit in terms of an email list before you want to like before you recommend actually launching 
something like a signature course or a digital product. I mean, I know some of your clients have probably six figures worth of email subscribers, right? But then some of your other clients, you know, I'm thinking just one in particular, you know, I remember when they were just starting their email list, you know, but you know, over the past few years, it's grown pretty significantly. Like, do you have a number where you're like, Hey, you know, we need to get to this point before we launch this product. Yeah, I don't, but I look at conversion numbers. So again, dream crusher comes out of me of like, okay, well, if we're going to launch this, what are the revenue goals? And first of all, I like to set goals in like a good, better, best standard because I'm a big fan of like that measuring stick of really then understanding, okay, I didn't hit this part of my goal, but maybe I got over here, you know, and we can kind of assess that goal a little bit better when we have that good, better, best strategy. So I'll talk with the client around, okay, we're going to launch this signature program. It's $4.99 or whatever the price point is. What's your good, better, best? How much revenue do you want to bring in once we launch it? Okay, well, your email list is only 500 people. Conversion of 1% to 3%, this is actually what you're looking at. And usually when we have that conversation, it's, again, it's like crushing like slightly of, oh, okay, I can only expect this amount. But it's that reality check of, okay, then what's the client's goal? Is the goal just, I want to get it to market. So I'm not even really worried about revenue. I just need to get it out there. Okay, that's a different conversation than if revenue is a deciding factor in the launch. Yeah, yeah. I think people are always so surprised to hear that the conversion rate is going to be only one to 3% of your email list. But you know, the gift in that is that that's pretty solid truth. You know, like across the board, you know, you can look at somebody's email list and say, you know, and look at the offer. And as long as the offer is pretty good, that, hey, I'm probably going to convert on, you know, somewhere between one and 3%. In our experience, uh, smaller email lists might have a higher conversion rate, but not, not in the way of like 50 or 75%, like higher conversion rate in like seven to 10%, something like that. Right. You know, but, but still, I think the, the gift in an email list is that things are more predictable. Whereas like, if you look at somebody's Instagram following, what it converts at is going to probably vary drastically from account to account, you know? And so it's nice having a list that's, you know, predictable like that. Absolutely. And again, even though it's sad (laughs) in some cases to be like, oh, okay, if I'm looking at 1% of my email list, like what is that number? There is though then a benchmark in that of, okay, if you want to hit 1%, 3%, whatever it is, now we know for lead gen, now again, let's like reverse it of, okay, now I know how many people I need to get on my list before I feel comfortable launching if I want to have that conversion of one to three in terms of the revenue. So it's just math when we're thinking about it from that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So somebody comes to you, they tell you about this idea, you're looking at everything that they're currently doing and specifically whether they validated that idea, they started to work on their email list, kind of what's the next step from there? The next step would be to actually map out the project plan. This is probably my favorite step in the process because this is where I get to put on my like to-do list hat of like, okay, here's all the fun things that we get to do. When we're planning for a launch, we need at least six to eight weeks, but that is... I even hesitate sometimes to say that because that also just really depends on everything that's been done before the client comes to us. So if it's somebody that, you know, maybe we need a little bit more email nurturing and some marketing going on, then we're going to push that and do, you know, more of a three month or four month timeframe versus like a six to eight weeks. But essentially I'm going to work backwards. So I'm going to say, okay, you want to launch your product on April 1st. So here's everything that we need to do from now until then to get this ready for market. I look at a launch from two hats. I look at it from the operations hat 
what does the product need? What do we need in Kajabi? What do we need in terms of filming the content, workbooks for the students, like all of the details inside of the operations of the product? And then what do we need on the marketing side? The sales page, the emails, that Instagram content. I feel like a lot of business owners struggle with, because there are two sides, they're putting all in on one side, like all in on like, I'm going to hire a production team and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And it's going to be the most beautiful course ever. And they forgot about the marketing and they forgot that they have to be telling their people and priming their people that this thing is coming or the opposite happens. And they're hiring the designer for the sales page and hiring the copywriter and all of this stuff. And then the night before they're still recording their content to like upload it into Kajabi. Like we've all been there. I'm sorry. So it's interesting to like work with clients on here's everything that we need. And now here's an actual realistic timeline so that hopefully you don't feel totally burnt out by the time that the launch has happened and you have a support system sending you details and things to review as the launch is getting closer. You know, as far as like your background, you know, as a, as a wedding planner as well, I mean, there's probably no better person to hire, <laughs> you know, to help with the logistics. I even know from like a neighborhood community standpoint, you know, I know Krista really appreciates like you all are get things on the calendar type of people. But from there, you know, so you have all this mapped out. How much does your team do specifically around like setting up the various things? So there's, you know, you mentioned things like sales pages and emails and, you know, there's integrations between the two, checkout. You know, what does your team take care of? It's a little different depending on every, like the client's preferences, honestly. I don't want that to be like the gray area question of like, we'll do whatever you want, um, because that's also not realistic either. But a, a couple of factors do go into it. We have some clients that, for example, we have one client that like she loves to design her sales pages. Like she like she loves to do that. So great. Like we want her to sit in her zone of genius. And if that's where she wants to be, like that's where she wants to be. And then our team could help with other, you know, specifics and other details. We have other clients that don't want to write anything ever. They just want to like go through a Google doc and just make sure it all sounds good. And then we're writing all of the content. We're scheduling it in ConvertKit and pressing send on all of those emails. So we try to be a little bit of a chameleon based on what's that client's comfort level and their zone of genius. And then some of that does depend on like the tech side of things too. And we try to be very realistic with a client when we're onboarding because we'll have a list of their tech stack. So I'll know like, okay, they're in show it great. Like we feel really comfortable with show it templates and being able to get the job done in there. Oh, they're in Squarespace. Not so much. Like we're not really going to touch the back end of that website. So we want to have those conversations up front so that that client is well aware going into the process. These are the things Kat's team can do. And then these are the things that are still left that, you know, we would need to hire out for, or that client would be responsible for doing. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as getting everything mapped out and getting everything set up, is there a next step? You know, like what should be people, what should people be, um, I guess, worried about or concerned about, you know, as the actual launch date uh, approaches? Really just focusing in on their to-dos and the things that they need to be doing. I don't think there's necessarily things to worry about if you've planned it out really well, because hopefully you've had realistic conversations already around if this is our launch day, like our live day, and then here's all of the steps leading up until that, you know, we just want to keep open communication as we're working forward on getting that product ready to go. And then if we need to adjust dates and things like that, we can do that because we're constantly communicating with each other throughout the process. When I was with Till Agency, the ad agency, one of the things that I found was like some of our best clients were ones that had done it on their own before, 
you know? And so they had experience maybe doing a course launch on their own. And then they would come to us and say, hey, listen, I've done this thing. I built this thing. And now I want somebody else to help put it on autopilot or help scale it or, you know, whatever it is. Do you find that's the case with what you're doing as well? Most of the time, there's something fun about being able to talk with somebody that understands a little bit, not necessarily even the tech, but just like the generalized, like, this is what happened last time and just what worked and what didn't and what can we do in the future. Sometimes with a client that is brand new to launch, like they don't know what they don't know. And that's not their fault. Like they literally have never done it before. And so sometimes there's like, I feel that pressure of like waving the magic wand of like, oh, yay, what are we going to do? And like, I don't want to disappoint them. But there's so many details in a launch that aren't even up to me because like we talked about before, audience and product and pricing and like all the things. So if they've done it before, we at least have that measuring stick to go off of, of expectations, even for the launch tracker and like what's going to happen. If they've never done it before, we're all going into it blind. We're holding hands and we're going into it together, but like we don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason I bring that up is because I think, you know, what I hope it is, is encouragement to people who are listening, who have never launched a digital product before, you know, maybe they've been running a service-based business. And when you're running a service-based business, certainly if it's something that's more luxury level or high end, you know, you don't need a thousand clients in a year. You know, typically you need, like if you're a wedding photographer, you might need 20. When you're selling a digital product, you know, you want the thousand, (laughs) you want the thousand customers, right? You know, I say that, you know, hopefully as encouragement to just get started and it's okay to like jump in, see what you can figure out on your own, make mistakes, understand that maybe it's not going to be a five-figure launch or a six-figure launch or a seven-figure launch, you know, like you hear about from the online gurus, but you're going to learn a ton. Before our first course launch, we hired Jesse Marcaccio, who was my partner over at Till Agency, and he's still, you know, running that, of course, and his wife, Becky, and we just learned a ton from them. And that was knowledge we could implement, you know, for every launch going forward. And so bring this, you know, back to what you're doing, you know, for people who are, I think, thinking about doing this, but don't feel like they're the kind of people who are like, I just know if I try to do it myself, I'll never be able to do it. Can they still work with you? Yes. So we have worked with clients before. And actually last year we had about a 50-50 split of clients that had, I would say, were a little bit more advanced in their digital product, just portfolio, like things that they'd done, offerings that they had, things like that. And then we had about another 50% of our clients that had either only launched one product or had were truly building from the ground up. Like we were like, okay, you, you know, we have a hundred people on this email list, like did not have very many at all. And there is some beauty in like those first steps and getting started. And I do understand, just like you were saying, like sometimes we don't know. And because we don't know, we just feel overwhelmed. And so we keep stopping. And if that's what's holding you up and you need to feel a little bit more secure and like, no, I want the confidence of having a team that's done it before to really walk me through. That's not to say that like this wouldn't even be a good fit or you can't find an awesome business coach, like help walk alongside you as you are going through some of this. So I don't think that there's necessarily a threshold of you have to be at this point before you hire out. But I do think that it is helpful if you can like bootstrap it a little bit in the beginning and figure it out some on your own to at least just, again, get the list started, get some things out there to make sure that what you're going to then put more money behind to produce is even better for you and for your audience. Yeah. And, you know, I say if you're listening and you're thinking about reaching out to Kat's team as well, and you've never done this before, I would just make sure if you do just pay attention to what you all are doing. And I love what you mentioned in the beginning, you being a strategic partner. And I think that's like, there's just so much value in that. And so 
you know, remember like, yeah, so you might be paying a little bit more upfront to get things going. You know, everything that's built can be reused in the future and all that, you know, knowledge you've gained through working with an experienced team, you know, you can use in the future. And then likewise, on the other side of that, you know, I think that everybody hits a point where it's like, okay, they built this thing and they've proven it out. They validated the idea. Things seem like they're converting and they just need to figure out how to pour some gasoline on the fire, right? In which case, again, you know, it's nice to have a team like yours that's so buried in expertise, you know, like you can help with the copywriting, you can help with the tech stack, you can help with like more of the strategic vision as well. Sometimes you need extra humans. And I love a good system, but sometimes you just need other people behind you. And I mean, if we compare like the solopreneur mindset to like a company mindset, like that's a big difference there of, you know, it's not just you and there are other people that you can lean on and you can trust. And in our case, you don't even have to hire all those people. You hire one agency and then we've got this like support team to help you get it done. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I guess real quick, uh, just a few sort of miscellaneous questions as well, just for people who might be thinking like, okay, well, you know, I'm a solopreneur, you know, do I need like basically an integrator or would that like, would that be ridiculous to hire an integrator? It depends on what you're trying to do. If you're a solopreneur, and again, if we're looking at like the agency model that I've created, then if you're a solopreneur and you're looking to launch digital products or you have some digital products and you want help growing and scaling, it could be a good fit. So reach out and, you know, we can have some conversations. If you are thinking not so much the agency model, but just in general, do I need an integrator? No, because the general term of an integrator is managing your team and your projects. And if you don't have a team for that person to manage, then you don't need an integrator. I would definitely get a really awesome VA that you can manage and have that extra person to help you get some of those things done. Yeah, yeah. And I love just, you know, kind of how transparent you are about all of that and whether whether people would be a good fit or not. If somebody is going to launch something, and you alluded to this earlier in the episode, but what would be like kind of the ideal timeline to launch? You know, somebody, maybe they're working on a digital product now and they have really ambitious hopes to launch next month. You know, like what would you say to them? Maybe that's literally ambitious, but I think some of that's going to depend on what the product is and all of the details that are going into the product. Like we talked about before with like, there's the operation side of making sure the product is ready to go. And there's also the marketing side. And you're probably not just sitting around only working on that. <laughs> you're probably doing other things for your business and you might have you know services that you're fulfilling or other digital offers. I don't know. You've got a lot going on, I'm sure. So if you are thinking about right now, it's February. If you would like to launch and it's the very first time you've ever launched something, I wouldn't do it any earlier than like mid-April because that's at least giving you more of like that eight, nine week runway. But even then you might find that once you really map out everything that needs to happen, that you might need to push that back a little bit. And that's okay. I feel like sometimes it's that instant gratification of, oh, I said I was going to do it. I got to do it right now. Like, no, it's still, that's only eight to nine weeks away. Like you have, that is great. <laughs> You're not like missing out on anything by waiting just a little bit. Even that sounds really ambitious, honestly. You know, if you had said like, oh, you have to wait till midsummer, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, especially if you've never launched something before. And you know, we find that with website design too. Like we'll have people reach out and they're like, you know, I want to do this project. It needs to be done next week. And it's like, well, why? And it's like, a lot of times it's just self-imposed, you know, deadline, you know, and in talking to people, they realize, okay, yeah, actually I don't need this next week. And it's important to just take the time with the project and do it, you know, well, the first time, and it's going to, you know, prevent headaches down the line. So, you know, I would say if you've never launched something before, maybe give it like three months. That's probably a pretty uh, realistic time frame in terms of like planning for a launch. Is there anything else that I'm not asking that would be relevant for people thinking through productizing a service or launching a digital product? 
or just working with the integrator. I feel like we covered. And we covered even more in the, or we did not even more, but we covered additional stuff in the first episode as well. I would recommend that people go and check out that episode too. If people are interested in working with your team, where should they reach out? You guys can head to our website. It's just catchmoyer.com. So I'll make sure that Davey has that to link in here. And you can learn a little bit more about the agency, meet our team. And then we do have an application process because we do want to make sure it's a good fit all the way around. So we'd love to talk with you if you are intrigued by what you're hearing here and want to have a conversation and learn more. Well, a few things that I really appreciate about Kat. One, her content is always top-notch. She's launching a new podcast, which might be out by the time you're listening to this episode. You should head on over to her website and check that out. But I just appreciate how you don't hold back. Whenever we have conversations, you don't hold back on your blog. And I expect your podcast is going to be the same way. Also, probably one of the most detail-oriented people I've ever met in my life. And you know, I've done sort of a, it, it wasn't meant to be, I didn't tell you it was a discovery call, but I've done a discovery call with you on the agency side. And, you know, I just really appreciated, you know, how carefully and thoroughly you walked me through the process of what it would look like to work with you and your team. So again, if this is something that you're thinking about, it's on your list for this year to maybe launch a digital product, or you really want to figure out how to take that digital product to the next level, I'd highly recommend reaching out to Kat and seeing if her team can help you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Kat. I uh, can't wait to connect another time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands of Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this episode with others. For show notes and other resources, head on over to DavianKrista.com.